2: The fast pace of today's world is creating a silent epidemic that's impacting our physical and emotional well-being. According to today's guest, Dr. Paul Knapper, our accelerated lifestyles, always on technology, and ever-increasing job demands have created a tsunami of overwhelm and anxiety. Dr. Knapper warns that we've lost our agency, which is the ability to deal with stress and act as an effective agent for ourselves. Dr. Knapper leads a management psychology practice and is a co-author of the book, The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create a Life on Your Own Terms. Welcome, Dr. Knapper. Thank you so much for joining us. Well,
3: thanks for having me.
2: So, Doctor, this is really a, a very important topic because... It's been reported that two of every three Americans say that they are extremely or somewhat anxious. How is the way that we're living today impacting our well-being?
3: Well, as everybody knows, uh, we live in a a much faster-paced society than we did 20 years ago, Um, and it continues to accelerate. So whether you're in business and trying to adapt to changing uh, customer demands um Or you are simply um, working from your home, people are aware that things are moving much much faster. We are expected to be available uh, to communicate almost instantaneously most hours of the day and night and there 's information simply coming at us at all hours so one strength of our culture as Americans is we we say yes to new things, so you know we embrace the new and and for the most part that 's worked well for us. However, you know, in today's culture, too much of a good thing is, is sometimes not a good thing. And people are, as you said, simply experiencing overwhelm on a, on a much more frequent basis than is healthy and and optimal. So I started doing this work. I work with uh, business leaders in Fortune 500 companies and some smaller companies as well. Um, and you know, when I first started doing this work 20 years ago, I rarely heard people t- saying to me, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by what I'm facing. I'm Overwhelmed by the demands being placed on me today, I hear it every day. And my colleague and co-author of the book, he sees this in his practice, his clinical practice. He works with uh, children and families. And the same exact thing is occurring in his practice. So we started thinking about what, what is going on here and what is the effect of all this anxiety and overwhelm on people. And what we found is it's compromising people's capacity to make good decisions for themselves, to, to make healthier choices and, and to make um, decisions that create the lives they, wanna, they most want to create. So that's where agency comes in because agency is a, re- a very robust concept. And it essentially is about the human capacity to make choices uh, to to make a decision regardless of of your circumstances, and I think what a lot of people feel today is that they don't have uh, the ability to choose uh, the freedom to fully to choose so many people feel constrained in making choices, and again with the heightened anxiety and overwhelm, you know there's a lot of fear that drives their decision making so so you see a lot of people just <clears throat> silently suffering um, these days, and so we wrote a book to help people with that whether you 're in business whether you're you know you're just trying to try to navigate school or your personal life. it's really, how can we as human beings make the best choices in our lives, despite the fact that everything has sped up so much and we're so overstimulated. We're all just trying to create lives that are meaningful and healthy and happy for ourselves. Um, and uh, that's really under threat today.
2: So doctor, when we're experiencing all of this anxiety and overwhelm and we're feeling trapped and we're living in fear and, and doing all of the things that you just described, and we're trying to ignore the way we're feeling because of the very feelings we're having, why is that a bad idea? What happens to us when we try to stuff it or ignore it?
4: Well,
3: it, it doesn't get better. Obviously, it gets worse. And <clears throat> I think what a lot of people, I notice this in business <clears throat> quite a bit, many of my clients in business, um, these are strong people um, who uh, try to gut it out and you know just grind through it. But what I found is that when people aren't being honest about what they're actually facing and, and dealing with, and, and they don't address it, they just postpone the inevitable. So I start seeing physical health um, deteriorating in clients who ignore it. They they they're, they become depressed over time if if they ignore it for too long. So I think it's it's it's, it's a good time to just honestly face how is my life going. Um, an agency, personal agency, begins with that that capacity to take a step back um, take a brief time out and reflect on where you find yourself and and honestly assess how is my life going how am I feeling about this how am I feeling about my work how am I feeling about my family life um, how am I feeling about where we where I live? Um, and you know, really doing that kind of uh, check-in and being honest about the answer and then and then finding some people to talk about it with, you know, finding a trusted um, loved one, um, counselor or, Co-worker, whomever it is, and just being honest, and and I see a lot of executives doing that these days, and these are these are very high achieving people, and they they are opening up and saying, you know, I am overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed by what's on my plate, and how do how do I address this? What do I do about it? So I think that that's the the bottom line.
2: I took your online test at PowerOfAgency.com and. I fell in the middle ground when it comes to controlling stimuli that I expose myself to. And, and to be honest, I would agree with that. You write about a high agency person. What does that person look like and what does he or she do differently?
3: Great question. Um, first, um, in terms of, you, you know, your score on the control stimuli subtest, um, uh, in our, in our test, you did better than most people. Most people are doing, you know, really struggle with that and controlling stimuli is, is is the place that we start with people who want to gain a higher level of agency in their lives. Um, because what you allow into your mind largely determines how you feel. It determines how you think, um, And so when people do a better job of of being aware of how much stimulation they allow into their lives, and we're talking primarily digital stimulation here, and when they make choices about you know, how to limit that or, or get the optimal amount of stimulation, um, they do better. They feel better and they think better. So you're ahead of the game, Joan, because most people from our research really are, are not doing a, a great job at, at managing and controlling the amount of stimulation they expose themselves to in, in the course of, of, an, of an average day. So what does a high agency person look like? Well, you know, first of all, agency is situational. So, what, what my level of agency is, how, how I feel in terms of you know, my own level of personal agency, is going to vary somewhat depending on the situation. Um, but a, a person who, who feels a high level of, of personal agency feels grounded, feels uh, centered. Uh, feels that they um, have options. They, they, they feel a sense of what we call a high internal locus of control as opposed to an external locus of control. And those are, you know, psychological terms that refer to how a person feels about themselves in the world. A high locus of control or or internal locus of control, rather, means that I feel like I have the capacity to make decisions in my life and act on the environment that I'm a part of. A person with external locus of control feels like the environment really has the upper hand, and the external environment is largely dictating uh, what I'm able to do and the choices I'm able to make. So high, uh, a person with high agency feels like most all the time they do have a, an internal locus of control. They, have an, they always have the capacity to make a choice in, in, regardless of the situation. Sometimes they may, you know, so the choices may be somewhat limited. They may not be always the best your easiest choices, but there's always a choice. And what I found, what we found in our research, is that more and more people are feeling constrained in terms of what's available to them, in terms of the choices they can make in their lives. They, they, in other words, they feel carried. They feel like they're being carried along um, by life, by by the the external environment. And so, what we want to remind people of is hey, you do have – you you always have this thing we call agency within you. It's your capacity to reflect on your situation and make a choice. And we forget that sometimes. We get so caught up in the moment, and particularly when we're overwhelmed, we, we lose – Track of that, so the book is really designed to help people, you know, gain hold of that again, and build it, you know, to a higher higher level, so that they actually are making you know, healthier choices each each and every day.
2: Doctor, where does our agency come from? Is it from the subconscious programming that, uh, you know, of everything we've experienced throughout our life? Is it something that's innate?
3: It's a great question and 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 a, and a pr- pretty deep one um actually. I mean, you know, it, we noticed that among children, right? Young children, they almost seem programmed, right? They they come into the world, they they want to learn, they want to uh grow, uh they want to be able to to walk and and talk and um do all kinds of things. But they also um, need to be taught. They need to learn um, from from other people. And so we can say that there is an innate human capacity for agency, uh, which, again, is this capacity to um, make good, rational choices in, in one's life. Um, but it does need to be developed. So in other words, um, you know, how we think as human beings has a lot to do with our level of agency in our lives. It has a lot to do with the, the kind of lives we end up creating for ourselves. So, you know, agency does need to be developed, but there's an innate human desire for agency we all want to feel like we're captains of our of our own ships that we can you know sail through any kind of uh, sea and and navigate our lives uh, in in a, in, a, in a healthy positive way and um, so there is this innate human desire uh, for agency, and agency feels good. When we exercise personal agency in our lives, it feels good. We feel like we've uh, we've we're we're part of something. We're engaged. We feel a sense of personal power. Um, we feel a sense of confidence in our in our ability to to make good decisions. Um, and so you know, and that's really what. Has to be developed is is the capacity to form good social relationships with other people, a capacity to manage our emotions and beliefs, and our capacity to, to think both um, you know intuitively and to think more logically and analytically. And so, what's interesting, the agency is never taught really specifically to students, for example, um, but you know it is taught in more indirectly because at the end of the day, our success as people depends on our capacity to adapt our, uh, to adapt to change of, qu- of course and as change accelerates around us agency agency becomes a really critical a critical part of the equation because without it we're not going to be able to effectively adapt um, to to the environment around us, and that's where we see a lot of people falling, you know, falling down um, is is right there, and that's why we're seeing such elevated uh, levels of anxiety. As you said earlier, Joan, you know, 20% of Americans. Uh, carry around a, a clinical diagnosis of, of anxiety disorder, 20%. It's an enormous number, and there are many, many millions more who are just undiagnosed, who, who really are, are, are operating with you know, extremely high levels of anxiety e- each and every day. Um, and that's debilitating, and it's no fun, and it also compromises their ability to make good choices and to navigate their lives you know, in, in a healthier way.
2: Doctor, can you explain a feedback loop and how it relates to agency?
3: Yeah, well, well, you know, this is this gets into something that's quite important because agency, which is another another way of describing it, is our, our capacity to be. Um, effective agents for ourselves, or you know, to connect with our power, our internal power. Um, it, de- it largely depends on socially who we're connected to. So when we are ex- connected to and expose ourselves to other people who are healthy, who are positive, people who, whom we can learn from, people who might challenge us to think differently. Uh, at, at times, um, our level of agency increases if, if we um, surround ourselves with people who give us messages that we're not we're not enough, we're not good enough, uh, um, or that we um, are incapable, or we're unattractive, or you know uh, w- any of those kinds of negative um, sort of you get into a negative feedback loop. Um, it, it really starts to affect how someone sees themselves and it affects their love ultimately can affect their level of agency and what we see today is there's so many we're exposed to so many messages now um, you know it's, we're living in uncharted territory um, many people don't realize that because it's sort of like that frog in the boiling pot of water the water just gives gets hotter and hotter on the stove and and the frog doesn't you know just notices it just slowly getting warmer, but it's all of a sudden when it gets super hot that the frog is extremely uncomfortable and it, you know wants to jump out of the pot. And it's kinda of like that's where we are as a society. I think people are just starting to get more aware of the kinds of messages that they're receiving each and every day and, and the effects of those messaging. So the negative feedback loop that you refer to is, you know when people take in a message, so it could be on social media, it could be just a simple advertisement, it could be a, a friend in their life or a coworker or a neighbor, and you know, if if they're receiving a negative message or a message they're interpreting negatively, um, over time that negative feedback loop. Uh, you know, gets worse, and they're apt to spread that. So, so that person is apt to um, feel badly about themselves, and they may, in their next interaction with another person, spread that negativity to that other, that next person. So, when it comes to anxiety, one of the things we we, we like to stress to people that's really a critical thing to understand is. Anxiety is socially contagious. So if I'm extremely anxious and I'm sitting next to you or I'm driving behind you in the car, and if I'm extraordinarily anxious, you're going to pick up on it, and you're going to start feeling anxiety as well. so we do spread anxiety around we also spread other feelings around as well. I think a lot of times people aren't aware of that and they, they may not be aware of the messaging too that and especially you know younger folks who spend a lot of time on social media report. Feeling you know feeling in some ways less than a lot they they look at um, the the lives that are portrayed on social media, these idealized lives, and they compare themselves to to, to what they see the images which of course aren 't entirely real. And they feel badly about themselves. So, so there's a lot of there's a lot of messaging out there today that people need to be more critical consumers of, and and frankly, need to move away from make move away from messaging that makes people feel um, less important or less powerful or less attractive. It's it's just simply not a good idea to expose yourself to, to that
5: type of stuff.
2: And you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more because I actually went through that with social media when I went through some personal life challenges and. I started to realize that what everyone is showing is what I call their A role. You know, it's the A game, but that's not everyday life. And I love one of your recommendations where you say to limit the time you spend on social media. It casts you in the role of a passive bystander in other people's lives, not as a director of your own life. Spend more time in your own life. And I think that that. It's such fantastic advice to spend more time in our own life.
3: Absolutely, and and spend time in in real real relationships. Uh, you know, relationships in real time, and relationships that are. Um, that are helpful to you, that again, allow you to, to grow and learn and experience yourself in new ways. Because I think that's the other thing about social media is it, you know, it generates a lot of feelings in people, but it it, it, it's, it's a, it is more passive. And, you know, it's unlike a um, a real relationship in real time where you you actually can see the person you develop good social skills because you're, you're you know you're engaging with that other person and we've, we' we're finding in in, in many uh, work situations that you know younger folks who have been uh, on social media a lot to to the point where they've excluded or limited the amount of real-time connectedness, real-time social relationships, that they show up in the workplace and their social skills aren't well-developed. So they struggle, right? They struggle with how to uh, work in a collaborative way with, you know, with a, a wide range of different people. And, you know, they really have to uh, embark on kind of a remedial education, a catch-up, as it were, um, because their, their social skills have not developed. It's, you know, so it's a very, you know... It's Social media is is absolutely fine, but as you said, we, we liken it to, you know, having some potato chips, right? You know, we wouldn't ever sit down with 10 bags, large bags of potato chips and just just continue eating and eating until, until, we, <laughs> until we can't eat anymore. We're saying it's a useful thing to have a portion of, of potato chips and enjoy those, right? And then that's it. And the same thing with social media. You need to set some limits on it. You need to recognize it for what it is. And it's a, new, it's a relatively new thing in our society, right? We're still learning about it and learning about its positive and negative aspects. And I think people need to be a bit more sophisticated in consuming this digital stuff because it has a direct impact on how you feel about yourself. Um, and, and a lot of times it, it seeps in it, it, it slowly and and you don't even realize it's happening. Have a balance in your life. You know, make sure that you have healthy social relationships. And, you know, by definition, you know, social media, it's, it's not entirely real, right? It's just its just not. That's thats the reality.
2: The book is The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create a Life on Your Own Terms. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Knapper and his work, you can visit powerofagency.com. Dr. Nepper, thank you so much for joining us and for teaching us about the power of agency and how it can help us regain control of our lives and create the life that we want to live.
3: Well, thanks for having me on, Joan, and, and congratulations on your show. Just You do great stuff and, and help lots and lots of people. So thanks again for having me on.
2: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to primohealthsolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best.
4: If you're a person living with any discomfort, have trouble sleeping, or the many other issues that come with getting older, I have great news for you. You have a chance to do something for yourself and at the same time help a U.S. veteran. My name is Janice Coviello. For years, I've been living with knee pain and discomfort every time I did something active, even walking. But after eight knee surgeries, countless bottles of Advil, and hyaluronic acid injections, I was desperate for relief. My doctors, told me a knee replacement was my only option. To avoid another surgery I found another solution a transdermal gel known for reducing joint pain, faster recovery from injuries, enhancing strength and promoting natural tissue repair. I started using the gel with amazing results. For the first time in 17 years I could run without Advil. In addition I sleep better and have so much more energy. But just don't take my word for it. Go to Forever everyoung.org to learn how the purchase of this product can benefit you and also help a U.S. veteran. That's the number four everyoung.org.
2: Health. Joining me today to discuss creating loving relationships is Patricia Larkin, a transformational coach, speaker, and author. She's the creator of Infinite Self-Help and is an advisor with nothing but advice. Welcome, Patricia. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Patricia, many of us believe that love is something that is supposed to be natural, but you say that it's something that is learned. Why do you believe that love is learned? I believe that love is something that we naturally know how to
6: do. I also was a trauma survivor. And as an adult, I still felt I had missed this experience of unconditional love. And I thought I would experience that when I had my first child because mothers love their children and it's a natural biological process. And then I would finally experience love in this deep way that I felt that I was missing in my life and i when i gave birth to my first daughter it was awesome i was in awe but my heart still felt empty there was still no feeling of love in my heart and i just was astounded at this experience because i had even planned a natural birth in my home with a midwife so I could experience this flood of oxytocin, which is the love hormone, which I had read about in the books. And I thought, all right, I'm going to give birth. I'm going to feel love. And it didn't happen. And that began my study to find the answers. And I found the answers in attachment theory and um, delving deeper into trauma science. But because we're born and we're Expecting love when we're born, if we don't get it in our environment, whatever we experience, we're just going to program that as love. So for me, there was a lot of emotional neglect and spiritual neglect. So I didn't know how to love because I had. we have to learn it when our brains are developing, when we are very small.
2: So how can a person tell if he or she is not experiencing true love? So it's actually very simple
6: and you can place your hand on your heart right now and breathe and feel what is in there. And are you able to access expansion? Are you able to feel warmth or is it more cut off? Is it feel like nothing? Is there a, a heaviness that's there? Some people are completely cut off and it feels like nothing. And that's okay. We can work on this and we can heal it. Some people feel the heaviness and they feel the pain. They have actually a more of a connection to their heart where they can actually feel their pain. That's great. We can feel it and heal it. It's okay. And then if you're able to actually breathe and feel physically in your heart, like expansion, warmth, peace, then you've got some good access to your heart's
2: intelligence and the Feeling of love. So once you have this understanding and you know if it's something you need to work on or not, how can a person learn to love another and to accept love? Uh, I call it the thousand paths
6: of healing. There are so many ways. I stick to prescribing journaling, yoga, and meditation. Journaling, you're accessing your subconscious mind when you're just free writing and let it flow. So let yourself just write three or four pages until you feel emotion coming up and then you can go deeper and deeper into the emotion and start to open up your heart. Yoga incorporates breathing and the movement. So intentional movement with the practice of breathing and feeling in your heart. And then meditation, just set aside the
2: time and do it and be gentle with yourself. Shisha, what would you say to someone who has been heartbroken and says, I never want to feel that way again? What would you tell that person? It's a choice.
6: This is your life. Do you want to feel full and vibrant and radiant and have a great and beautiful life? That includes feeling everything. That includes feeling pain. That includes feeling heartbreak. And the other choice is to have more of an
2: empty existence and you get to pick. Patricia, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Nothing But Advice, visit nothingbutadvice.com. And as always, to hear more about mental health issues, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash nothingbutadvice. We'll be right back.
7: Do you believe that because something happened before, it will happen again? Does this belief stop you from moving forward? Hi, I'm Jessica L. Conrad. I'm a certified life coach. I help those at a crossroads in life find clarity and direction. I specialize in supporting women with fertility issues. This belief is called an assumption. An assumption is really an expectation that because something has happened in the past, it will happen again. For example, you went for promotion at work but didn't get it. So why bother trying again? Or you tried to get pregnant but it didn't happen. So why keep trying when it will only end up in heartbreak? So what can you do about this? The most important thing you can do is try challenging this assumption. Ask yourself, just because that happened in the past, why must this happen again? If you would like to learn more, please visit me at my website, JessicaLConrad.com or you may book a free discovery call at helphopehappy.com.
1: This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City.
2: Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. What happens when a vision of creative freedom, courageous risk-taking, and good timing come together. According to Paul O'Brien, the answer is a life filled with success on your own terms. Paul teaches a process for making the best decisions with an ever-improving sense of timing. He's the author of Intuitive Intelligence, Make Life-Changing Decisions with Perfect Timing. Welcome, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you, Joan. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: So, Paul, decision-making is an important skill, but many of us are not very good at it. Why do you believe that is the case? Why do we have so much trouble making decisions?
0: Well, we go wrong by uh, being too emotional and impulsive uh, and and being guided by strong feelings in the moment, on the one hand, and on the other hand, we uh, can be... um, sidetracked by thinking too much and overanalyzing and procrastinating and waiting for more information and and thereby missing a window of opportunity so we've got to find the sweet spot between those two and that's where intuition comes in
2: so your book is entitled intuitive intelligence what does that mean intuitive intelligence
0: well, intuition is the ability to uh, acquire knowledge without recourse to conscious reasoning. It's kind of a direct route. Um, and, and different meanings can range from uh, direct access to unconscious knowledge, uh, inner sensing, inner insight, unconscious pattern recognition, et cetera. I think of intuition as a delicate little antenna. Along with the five senses, which are big antennae, that's bringing in information uh, from uh, outside of ourselves, and in particular from a, a, a resource that I call infinite intelligence, which Carl Jung called the collective unconscious. So you can think of your intuition as a, del- as a tiny little antenna. It's sort of like. Tuning in uh, a ham radio back in the 50s, you know, you want to you get that signal from Bora Bora, you've got to very carefully tune that in to get that frequency and avoid all the noise on the line. And that's our problem. There's too much noise. Mm-hmm. There's information bombarding us on every front, half of it is just erroneous, and our senses are being uh, stimulated on every possible front for the sake of turning us into consumers or whatever. And so it's very difficult to get the noise out of the system or to calm down. So I have techniques in the book, Intuitive Intelligence, on how to do that so that we can access uh, intuition when we need it the most.
2: It's that voice inside of us. I mean, most of us get that feeling when we have to make a decision. And, and, you know, we kind of know what we should be doing, but for whatever reason, we don't follow that. We don't tune in. So could you share one of your techniques with us?
0: Well, for instance, I have a thing in the book I call O'Brien's Law, kind of half-jokingly, and it goes like this. The stronger the feeling, the less trustworthy it is when it comes to making a strategic decision. Now, this is completely flabbergast most people because most people assume, well, if if I have a really strong feeling, that's an indicator of that's the way that I should go. And as I point out in the book, most strong feelings like fear or anger or or jealousy, or craving, um, are really the product of the ego, and they're not—they're um, not necessarily uh, a, a good uh, criteria for decision making at all. In other words, we're, we're liable to make a very bad decision in the heat of the moment. And so, in the book, I—I I have exercises for calming down and for letting mindfulness, um, doing some mindfulness practices, in order to give the intuitive sense. a a chance to be heard, because the feelings that come from uh, intuitive sensing are never really overpowering. It's kind of a subtle uh, feeling. A gut feeling is not going to just knock you over. So the first step is we have to get access. And the way to get access is to get the noise out of the system. Uh, And there's several techniques I have in the book. I've got many different chapters on this, on how to be mindful of synchronicities and how to contemplate them and how to uh, use divination in order to uh, um, stimulate the intuition. So that's the trick. You can't force intuition to happen when you want it, and it's not going to be in the form of a really strong feeling. So you've got to buy yourself some time, and you've got to give your, your, your intuitive intelligence some space.
2: Paul, you just mentioned the word divination. What does that mean?
0: Well, divination are these ancient techniques for stimulating the intuition to think outside the box around problems that logic can't handle. There's a lot of problems in life that logic can't handle, like relationships or timing issues, but different forms of divina- divination systems are tarot cards is one form. The I Ching, which is the one that I have used my entire adult life, which is uh, called the Book of Changes in Chinese, is another one, and these are often confused as uh, being fortune-telling systems, but they're not. These are ways to use a set of archetypes, and these are configurations of human energetic patterns that we all have inside of us. So if you have a problem that logic can't handle and you want to get uh, some input from outside uh, the realm of the rational brain, you might, you know, use one of these systems, and outside of the realm of black-and-white thinking, Because there's always more than two solutions to any problem. And basically, by reading between the lines relative to whatever issue you brought to it, you might get a new idea. It's certainly going to take you outside the realm of your ego because these systems don't really care about your ego. They just basically want to reflect uh, the energy that you bring to them. You
2: write about finding the perfect timing for decision-making. How can we learn to tell when it is the right time?
0: Well, that's where intuitive intelligence comes in because answer, there's two questions that you have to answer if you're contemplating a major change in life, and these are the kind of decisions I'm writing about in the book. And the two questions are the what question and the when question. The what question logic can help with that. That's the question that um, that, asks, that That's the question. What is the best? move to make? What is the best next move I might make? And the, the when question is the timing question, and when should I execute that? The difficulty with timing and why the expression timing is everything has been around for so long is because um, it's entirely intuitive. The timing question is 100, almost 100% intuitive. And so the better your intuitive intelligence gets, the better that your timing is going to get And and so you're going to make the right moves at the right time. That's not an easy thing to do. So you've got to cultivate intuitive intelligence to be able to do that.
2: The book is Intuitive Intelligence, Make Life-Changing Decisions with Perfect Timing. If you would like to get more information about Paul and his work, you can visit Divination.com. Paul, thank you so much for joining us.
0: It's been my pleasure. Thank you.
2: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
8: Do you ever feel like everyone and everything comes before you and your needs? In our hurried and fast-paced society, it seems we barely have time to breathe and finish our to-do list, let alone consider what our needs may be to feel good. Hi, I'm Lori Gardner, registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. I am the CEO and founder of HealthLink Advocates, a firm dedicated to assisting people navigate our very complex healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals and groups that want to improve their health and well-being. In order to achieve overall well-being, it is essential to care for oneself. If proper self-care is not given, it can create stress and burnout, as well as the onset of physical ailments. We have all heard our flight attendants give our safety instructions as we prepare for flight departure. They emphasize in the event of an emergency, if you are traveling with young children, the parents should put their oxygen mask on first so they are prepared to help their children. It is equally essential as you fly through your life that you always remember to provide yourself the needed oxygen to achieve balance and well-being. What happens if you put yourself last on the list of priorities and items to care for? Frequently, stress levels soar, health declines, relationships are challenged. Realizing that you are unique and resourceful as well as being the expert about yourself is so important. Learning to be your own best friend and remain faithful to yourself, especially in tough times, is key to overall well-being. As you practice more self-responsibility than love, you should experience more peace and balance and have improved well-being. If you need a health and wellness coach to partner with you, please contact us at HealthLinkAdvocates.com.
9: If you live in your head, are you often focusing on the past or future while the present moment just slips away from you? Hi, I'm Carrie Carapito from KNP Holistic Health and Fitness. As a holistic health and lifestyle coach and yoga teacher, I find so many people today are suffering from either anxiety or depression or both. I believe that being mindful and living in the present moment can help ease anxiety and depression. When you focus too much on past events, you can become depressed. If you are constantly looking to the future, it is easy to become anxious. When you are mindful, you are fully present in the present moment, living each moment to its fullest, giving each moment your full attention. Enjoy every precious moment life has to offer. Be grateful. Remember the saying yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. And that's why it's called the present. Find your true self. Find your passion. Live your life's purpose. Be true to you. Want to learn more? Visit my website at canpholistic.com or call 973-823-1600.
1: Do you have a parent or loved one who's a senior living alone and you're worried about their safety? Hi, I'm Dan Coleman, professional investigator and founder of Creative Solutions Investigative Services. With advances in medicine, our senior population continues to grow, and they wish to remain self-sufficient and independent for as long as possible. Unfortunately, there are people who prey upon this segment of the population and target them for crimes or fraud. What can you do to help keep your loved ones safe? The best way to protect our independent seniors living alone is to have a good plan in place. Make certain that any cash or checkbooks they have is out of the home or in a place they cannot easily access. Provide them with an easy-to-use cell phone that they keep with them at all times. If someone comes to their door, have them call you before they answer the door and keep you on the line as they open the door. Burglars and thieves are skilled at distracting and disorienting seniors who answer their door. Another safety feature to consider is installing security cameras inside common areas in their home that you can view over the Internet to monitor their well-being. If you need more information or assistance, you can reach me, Dan Coleman, through my website, csinvestigations.info.
10: Busy is an understatement when you own a business. Let's take a few minutes and answer these questions. How hard do you work? Do you get the results you want? Is your business goal focused? When your business decisions are aligned with your goals, you will achieve greater results because your goals keep you focused on business growth. However, there's one catch we tend to forget. Setting a goal and reaching a goal are completely different. Here's what I'd like to share with you about achieving your goals. Identify the outcome you want. Create a strategic plan for each goal. Prepare for change. Change is a pivot from what you're accustomed to doing to a new positive behavior that will lead you to your intended goal. Maintain a positive attitude. A positive attitude serves as a defense against submitting to the obstacles that will present themselves before you meet your intended goal. Highlight your unique skills and knowledge. Your skills are the how to do it and the knowledge is what to do. Define or revisit your company's mission and vision statement. Your mission statement is what powers your vision. Once you believe in your mission and focus on your vision, it will be easier to achieve your goals and to be motivated to repeat the process again and again for continued success. For more information on goal achievement, call me, Bertha Robinson, at 732-705-5060 or visit my website, star1professional.com.
2: We all want to live a happy productive life but sometimes we just need a little help our coach on call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now joining me today is Heidi Rome an autism mom coach and founder of mom's spectrum oasis Heidi's autism hope mindset system empowers a mom to take back her life while creating a bright future for her spectrum child Heidi is here today to discuss autism and spirituality welcome Heidi thanks for joining us Thank you so much for having me, Joan. It's an honor to be here. So Heidi, you believe that there is a link between autism and spirituality. Why do you believe this to be true? Honestly,
5: I had not really thought too much about a possible link between autism and spirituality. Throughout most of my autism journey with my younger son, Ethan, my attitude was very much that I had been dealt a tough hand by having a special needs kid and that I was still somehow... Um, paying my dues with God. My mother almost died when I was four and I was her primary caregiver until she died when I was 30. And I thought at that time that I had earned sufficient points with God, you know, going through all that to have now my own perfect family. So when Ethan was diagnosed with autism, I felt like God had let me down or that I had let him down in some way. And, And this was payback. Either way, I was upset to have yet another new lifelong caregiving challenge now with the added poignancy of it being with my own child who I needed to worry about and even take care of beyond my own death. And I was suffering. I was in deep grief and resistance. I had started to move through the stages of grieving. I was moving through those stages when I had a conversation with Ethan. That would change my life and view of autism. Uh, it would change my view of autism, of God and spirituality forever. And so let me just say here, Ethan has autism. Um, he's 13 years old and he is virtually nonverbal. He has a very minimal, uh, unreliable language language. And um, because of some very severe uh, self-injurious behaviors, we needed to make the very hard decision to have Ethan go to a residential placement outside of Boston away from home. And one of the communications techniques used at his prior school was one of supported typing. And so I went into the school to do extra sessions before he was going to leave so that we would have more opportunities to hear from Ethan as he would type his responses given that he can't speak. So at this last session, I asked Ethan what his thoughts are about God. And so here's the conversation that we had with me asking him questions and Ethan, typing his responses, pointing to letters on the letter board as his teacher, Lisa, lightly supported his arm as he typed, God is in my heart and he will always protect me. Well, I almost fell over when he typed that, you know, did, did God tell you that? When I lived in heaven, he told me that. Do you remember that time? When I lived with God, I wasn't named Ethan yet. What was your name? I was not to remember it. I had many before. Do you remember anything from that time?" And at that point, Ethan said verbally, no, thank you, which is a script. Ethan has a lot of difficulty with spoken language and much of his language is scripted so that it's a little bit easier for him. So he verbally said, no, thank you. But he typed, we should talk about it when nobody is here. So we said, well, Ethan, who should leave? Should Lisa, the teacher, leave? And he verbally said, no. Should mom leave? Verbally, he said, no. Should Kyle leave, his aide? He verbally said, yes. Now, Ethan never, no, he says a lot. Yes, he never says. So that was a very intentional, difficult word for him to use. And so Kyle left. And Ethan continued to type. I remember life with no body. When you go to heaven... There are no bodies, just energy. Did you choose to come here as Ethan Rome? Yes, I picked to be me and have many challenges. Did you pick us as your family? We were family another time. We didn't live here. We lived in a small group, but got hurt by warriors. Why did you choose to come back with challenges? I will be greatly rewarded in eternity. Is there anything we should do to help you? I have to complete my journey as prescribed by God. Does it feel longer than you thought it would be? Yes. The journey is unfathomably. He was 11 years old when he typed that, by the way. The journey is unfathomably longer than expected. What should we do to help you on the journey? I had to ask again. You just have to love me and that is your job. The rest is my job to do. You can imagine how this conversation changed my life and my feelings about autism, spirituality, and God.
2: So Heidi, what do you think is the biggest implication of this belief? How wonderful,
5: how empowering to know that this whole autism journey and challenge is purposeful, part of God's plan, that our only job is to love our autistic child not to fix him somehow he is not broken and I got this message after years of desperately trying to fix Ethan's autism he is truly amazing just as he is and the divine instrument I and mean, just look at that last line you just have to love me and that is your job the rest is my job to do. Talk about taking 100% accountability for your own life. I believe that is the message for any mom, from any child in the face of any challenge. To love unconditionally as the foundation for the child to learn, to spread his own wings, to learn from his own experiences, to choose, to act. To love is to be there for another, to act in their best interest through easy and hard times no matter what, not to change him. This big picture perspective eases the way for autism moms. You have your job description. You are your child's champion, your child's guide, but ultimately not your child's stand-in in in his own life. So stay in your lane and let him drive.
2: Heidi, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing such an intimate experience. If you want to learn more about Heidi and her work, you can visit MomsSpectrumOasis.com. That's moms with an S. And to hear more from Heidi to help you navigate the autism journey, you can visit CYA, slash Heidi. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, CYACYL.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.